What's up, everybody? Uh, this is the Archivist Realism Podcast, episode two. Uh, we listened to everyone's feedback, and uh, this episode is already going to be much better than the last one. Um, I'm your host, Khan from Damp Mags, along with the Digital Cowboy, founder of My Clothing Archive. So, yeah, today's episode, we're going to be focusing on um, the subject of lost media, as well as a few other topics. Um, I'll get I'll get right into the sort of definition of what lost media is to me um, and how I came about it. Um, you know, working in the archive space, I think I've seen um, archive and lost media. There's like many parallels between the two of them. Um, lost media is stuff that's actually lost, whereas like archive kind of uh, relates to like physical media um, that is still like generally in circulation, but I do see a lot of um, parallels between the two communities. Um, myself as being part of sort of both of those communities for some time now. Um, lost media can be um, TV shows, it can be movies, it can be advertising, advertising, um, anything really that, you know, Etienne and I were talking about um, Walter or Walter Benjamin's um, essay earlier, blanking on the name, but um, you know, I think I, it's uh, wait, isn't it the work of art in the age of mechanical reproduction? Exactly. Yes. yes. Um, and that got me thinking about like you know, folklore um and old tall tales and things like that, how they've kind of developed over time, um after being told hundreds of thousands of times by different people. Um, and so it makes you think, is what we are, is the story that we're listening to today, how the story was actually told, or is it the watered down interpretation from a bunch of different people um, that eventually got sort of written down um, and told? Um, uh, and so but going back to lost media, I have a question. So when we talk about uh, lost media, you mean a piece of media obviously but that have been lost so uh so every physical copy has been uh destroyed to yeah it's not in um like circulation of the general public um you know like companies may or may not have copies of the thing um like i know it's really big to talk about commercials um and advertisements in the lost media community um, which are, you know, we kind of briefly touched on like VHS and um, stuff on the last episode. Um, so like commercials may have been widely broadcasted to millions of people across the world at a certain point in time. Um, but a lot of these uh, advertising agencies and companies, you know, they like destroy or get rid of their archives, the copies after it's been broadcasted. So it happens quite often where something has been broadcasted and they never broadcast it again. And then all copies of it are destroyed. Um, and so it, it becomes this weird um, moment in time where people remember, remember uh, something happening. Uh, they remember the media, but um, no matter how hard they look, they aren't able to find it. Um, so what ends up happening a lot of the time in the community for the lost media community for um, media like this is people will buy like uh, VHS lots, uh, like people's um, recorded VHS from like VH VCRs. Um, and then they will try and find like the specific, obviously buy from the specific time period when they think that this was gonna be um, and just sort through and hope that um, that commercial or that episode that was only broadcasted once is on that, on that tape somewhere. Um, and so yeah. that's how a lot of that lost media um, gets found. Um, and then- but I the way you talk, it seems like um, lost media mostly centered around the video because I feel like if it's printed, it's easier to archive or it's easier to uh, keep, especially if it's uh, widely distributed. But in the case of video, since uh, video is kind of 
broadcasted from a different point of view, from a different, uh, you know, it's accessed from a different point of view. It's accessed on a TV or a computer. Yeah. Even computer, people record the screen. But uh, yeah, but I, that's the thing. I feel when we talk about lost media, it's often focused on video or film or um, those types of, uh, well, Which this is, type of media. That's mainly, that's mainly true um, because that is, like you said, like that's, just kind of how the circulation of visual like video media um, happens. But just from my research in like the lost media community, like there's also a lot of like music and um, mm -hmm. like events and um, even images as well. Like, you know, I mean, I brought up the sort of advertising agency thing, like a lot of the time when ad agencies were done doing um an ad they would kind of just scrap the whole project um mm -hmm. even if if maybe the advertisement never even came out um but what sometimes the things that get released or are searched for on lost media are um things that were like teased and then never released so mm -hmm. they were clearly in production at one point and were set to come out at a certain point in time and then never did. Um, and so people try and search for that, like the bits and pieces of that media. Um, I see. Some of the fun ones that I I, I just think are interesting. Um, there was an event called uh, Slam Fest that happened in 1999 that was hosted by, I believe Nintendo. Um, and they rented out the whole um, MGM Grand um, like fighting ring in Las Vegas. I think I've heard about this. Yeah, go on. Yeah, and um, it was they got a bunch of like full size people in like Super Mario costumes to do this like huge event um, in the MGM Grand where they were like gonna fight in real life or whatever and have a live audience. Um, and the whole thing was. Uh, live streams on the internet and this was 1999 um, and people have seemed to remember that there was a screen recording or a video recording of it that was being passed around on the internet in the early 2000s but now to this day like no one's been able to track down the official clip um, and they've only really been able to find like photos of it in magazines of like announcing that it was going to happen um but the thing i really love about the lost media community is like they have now gone and tried to contact like nintendo and they've tried to contact the production company that was doing the event and people that were actually like working on the project itself saying like hey like we're searching for this media is there any way that you guys have a copy of it um in your archives or anything and so far they haven't really been able to find on that specific subject they haven't really been able to find much um but yeah it's always a fun it, day. it reminds me of when uh because i have a few friends that look for specific uh, runway images and sometimes what they do is they contact the photographers directly to obtain more images of the shows um so I see some similarity in that sense. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, sometimes they have like legal reasons why they can't release the footage. Um, but other times they're like, oh, you know, this is such a niche, like random topic that we never would have thought anyone would be interested in. Just like would love to to give it give it out. Um and sometimes it's just the copy is lost. Uh, we talked once about the Tony Hawk uh, picture with Tupac, right? Yeah. Um, oh, no. We, so, yeah, we, on the first episode, we were going to bring that up, but we didn't actually end up doing it. Yeah, um, yeah there was a, an image that's been circulating on Instagram and social media recently of Tony Hawk and Tupac, which is really cool to, you know, legendary icons from two different you know realms um and the photo was from like the i think it was the early 90s or late like mid 90s and so tony hawk posted this photo of the two of them together and the whole 
caption was talking about how at some concert series in the 90s like they were they were at the same event and tony hawk took a photo with tupac um but the photo he lost the film or the film didn't come out when when he got it developed he had this story and this memory of it actually happening um and then a digital artist went ahead and took two images of them both and composited the images together to make it look like they were in the same place at the same time at that same time frame um and it was getting reposted quite a bit on social media people saying oh my gosh wow like look at this photo of tony hawk and tupac like what an amazing like legendary meetup whatever but the photo was like not real that wasn't the actual photo that was taken that day like it was just a a composition um the memory was real and it, sure it, it actually happened but the photo itself was not and i saw so many people saying that like this is the real photo but you look at i mean i, I looked at the digital artist who made the photo and i mean he had photos of like notorious big and like Kurt Cobain together and I'm like okay clearly that never happened um so yeah it's really interesting how like now like we're in a digital era obviously um and AI and composition like Photoshop have gotten so good where you can kind of make something look so real and even when you clearly state that it is not real people will still believe it to be real um, mm -hmm. it becomes very difficult to, you know, we talk about like the spreading of, uh, misinformation, um, things like that. And so while that story is real, they did meet at one point in time, you know, obviously Kurt Cobain and Notorious B.I.G. never met in real life. So mm -hmm. if someone were to see that in image, who's to say that they wouldn't believe that it actually happened, especially you know, me or you know that it's not real, but someone, maybe a younger person. To be fair, if I saw the picture of the uh, Notorious B.I.G. Uh, and Kurt Cobain, I would think it's real. Now you told me it's not, but uh, I would have been, oh yeah, maybe. Uh, what do I know? Yeah, exactly. And it's it just shows how, like, images like that um, can really, like lead people astray or um convince somebody of something that happened um i think there's another there's another photo that i know about that gets circulated a lot of kanye west um wearing like an anti-nazi propaganda t-shirt in like high school um yes i know it's funny you're talking about it's photoshop like he never he never it was a white t-shirt and someone mm. put that logo on it and how mm. everyone posts it. Yeah, it reminds me also of the picture of Obama showing off his t-shirt and it's a Supreme t-shirt. Um, I mean, this one is fake too, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it happens so, all the time. Um, yeah. Um, no, it's true. Even in the, uh, if we focus on the archive community, the archive fashion stuff, there's a lot of things that either the, well, I would say there's less images that are fake, but there's a lot of images that are wrongly captioned or that not necessarily captioned, but wrongly contextualized. Um, I talk about this often, but uh, the bootleg Comme des Garçons t-shirt from Spring Summer 1995, everyone is always like, oh, this is Comme des Garçons, Spring Summer 1995. But the t-shirt, the picture is probably from 2009. I mean, I know the t-shirt is from 2009, but uh, it's probably from 2009 or 2012. But yeah, and I did some research online also, and the picture started appearing on Tumblr uh, around that time, around 2012, I believe. I wonder where people get the, what, like, how do people have the, the idea that it's from 1995? Like, why is that? Well, it's written 1995 on the t-shirt, so fair. Uh, but it's just when I was doing my research, I found that um, I don't think I've I've explained the story in the first episode. But uh, it's two twins, uh, well, obviously, but it's two twins, uh, two twin brothers who walked for Comme des Garçons Spring Summer 1995, the women's wear show, um, 
and then they stayed friends obviously they were living together but then one of the twin had to um go back to well technically they were Canadian but he was leaving for the UK I don't know the story but uh so the other brother what he did he made a t-shirt specifically for his brother so what he did he put coming out some springs in 1995 because it was a good memory for them so in some ways it's related to the story you said about um the Tony Hawk thing because yeah the memory is real but the not the product but the image or the let's say the media to keep it simple but the media itself is fake like the t-shirt is bootleg it's not fake but it's bootleg like it's a real t-shirt but it's not a real from Comedy Castle. Yeah. Um, I think that's really interesting to think about the authenticity of things. And then when we talk about lost media, I think that's the thing. We People are looking for the authenticity, for the, the thing with the aura. Again, we were talking about Walter Benjamin earlier. But yeah, the, the aura, looking for the authentic things and um, for the authentic images. Yeah, no, because I think... I mean, it's such a, it's such an interesting era that we're living in now with social media and Photoshop and AI, like advancing almost too quickly um, and how easy it is to convince something, someone of something. Um, but going back like to sort of the lost media side of things, um, another subject that was really big in the uh, community um, had to do with Shrek. Obviously everyone loves Shrek. Um, and, you know, I grew up watching Shrek. You probably watched it growing up as well. Um, the final version ended up, you know, being with Mike Myers being the voice of Shrek and Eddie Murphy doing the voice of the donkey. Um, everyone loves that. Um, but I'm not sure people within the lost media community know about this one, but people outside of it don't necessarily know that um, the original voice actor for Shrek was supposed to be Chris Farley um, from Saturday Night Live. Um, and they had done all sorts of audio recordings, screen tests um, with Chris Farley as Shrek. Um, and it was actually gonna be like a much less like kid friendly movie. Um, the Shrek that they had modeled was way more like disturbing looking and scary. Um, and so, yeah, they made these um, screen tests or audio tests with Chris Farley as the voice actor. And they made probably, I think it was a one minute or 30 second um, sort of pitch they were going to show to producers. Um, and then they were gonna move on with the project. Um, and then during this time, obviously Chris Farley unfortunately passed away. And so they scrapped the whole idea of having Chris Farley as voice actor. Um, and along with that, 90% of the script for Shrek was also scrapped. So only about 10% of the original script that had Chris Farley was in the movie. Um, and so I think it's interesting to like think about like these alternate, um, not alternate realities, but like alternate versions of media where, you know, if Chris Farley hadn't passed away, like would we still love Shrek and know Shrek as as the movie that we watched growing up, or would it be a flop? Right. Uh, well, because you sent me a video. Yeah, it did look very gross the original shrek uh, but also i believe shrek comes from a book and i think yeah. the the animated version looked a lot more the first animated version looked a lot more like uh the original shrek in the book uh, if i may be mistaken but i believe from memory that is the case and then they change it to like kind of a more uh, comical like yeah. yeah, the version we got in the movie but the, for the screen test i do remember that it was closer to the book Okay. Yeah. I'm not the Shrek expert, so I, I'm no, not yeah. there's, there's uh, awesome. you seem to know a lot about Shrek, so I'm just gonna let you uh... <laughs> uh, it's it's interesting you bring this up because I want to bring up how certain images um I consider them to be lost media if I don't know the 
origin of it yeah. uh, and so that's why a lot of my archiving has been has been built around uh finding the original location of those images and uh, i think it's super important because sometimes you see scans online and so you know it exists but sometimes like well where is that from is it truly from the time or is it new um and i've done so much work to do that because also the crediting is super important because sometimes um i've seen so many things wrong sometimes uh, i can give you a few examples like the first official Comigasson en plus catalog, uh, so Comigasson en plus number one, was for the, the autumn winter 1985-1986 collection. So the second Comigasson en plus collection. But uh, when you look at the catalog, it's not clear if it's autumn, winter, or spring, summer. So sometimes if you look online, people just... Um, miscredited to be spring summer 1985 and sometimes i think people even uh write 1984 or it's all over the place but that's the thing i was like where is that from the origin of it and then i found well i have the original catalog now and sometimes this is easier to access i find because it's better documented by the brand but certain things are just nowhere to be found certain images let's say of um rika kubo or um, and, and it's still an active topic in the sense that there are still so many images that I'm, I've been trying to find the origin for years and I haven't found it. Um, another example is the first time that Basquiat walked for Comme des Garçons, Jean-Michel Basquiat. He, everyone says that he walked for Spring Summer 1987 in Paris, which is true, but that was in fact the second time he walked for the brand. First time he walked for Comme des Garçons uh, was in 1985. It was a special joint presentation of the uh, Spring Summer 1986 uh, collections in New York. And so that was the first time he walked for the brand. But for many years, I had the footage. So in fact, I had a video of Basquiat walking, but I knew it wasn't 1987, Spring Summer 1987, because I have also footage of Spring Summer 1987, and it was completely different to the setting. So I always was, oh, so it, it's almost in that sense, it's almost a reverse lost footage. It's I have the footage, but I don't know the origin. It's interesting, I think, to think about. Um, but yeah, so in I think with the internet and with the whole scanning and with all that, uh, we're at the point too that the media exists, so it's not really lost. We know it exists. We have a copy of it or we have a kind of digital um, image of it or a digital kind of file of it, but then we don't necessarily have the original one and so in that sense I, I believe we're maybe looking for the aura of it um you get why i'm going right no i definitely i was just gonna say like i'm sure there's a lot of it with Comte garçon but like you know my early sort of days in in archiving stuff when i didn't really necessarily know what i was doing or if i was doing it correctly but you know i love researching the early undercover stuff and i definitely found so many images where it looked like it could have been from a certain collection, but in reality, it was from something completely different. Or I think what ends up happening too is you end up seeing so many images um, that your mind almost tricks you sometimes. And you're like, oh yeah, like I I remember this one undercover look where like, you know, he's got something on the jacket and then you go back and you find the actual image that it's from and it's it's different than what you remember um, um and sometimes it's tricky because there's fashion editorials so uh if we focus on fashion in particular uh sometimes there's the images that are um made by the brands themselves but then there's also images uh, made by magazines and made from other sources um, but that's why I try really hard to cross-reference as much as possible I try to find the origin of everything and the years and the dates and everything to be sure that um, I can cross-reference and I can be 100% uh, sure about what I'm saying but sometimes it's hard I get tricked too uh, like you said you get tricked I, everyone gets tricked that's normal no, that's one thing that I do like really enjoy about the lost media community in general is just how 
diligent people are with the information and how far people will go in order to find what they're looking for. Um, whether, you know, like you said, you know, people that have reached out to the photographers themselves or, you know, people in the lost media community reaching out to production companies or um, animators or whatever to try and uncover any information that they can. Um, and a lot of the times, you know, they, sometimes it, it comes to a dead end, but um, most of the time it's just the right, the right stone hasn't been turned over yet, you know? Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Uh, I, I'd say the the good thing about that too is how creative sometimes you have to be to find those footage. Uh, as an example, again, um, once I was doing research on the Dyson collab, the Isimiyaki Dyson collab, and uh, uh, while doing my research, I found out that they made a specific website for it. The website is not available anymore. I tried accessing it, couldn't find it. But what I found is I found the web designer, the guy who actually designed the website. And so I reached out to him. I was like, hey, do you still have the website? Do you still have images from that? And he was like, yeah, I, if you want to have some screenshots of it. And he has, yes, some, yeah, some images. And that's what I mean. It's kind of wild to think, okay, yeah, I'm going to reach out to the one who made the website to host those things. It's kind of a lot of, connections to get there um but yeah you have to be creative sometimes but it's important to reach out also uh, sometimes people are shy to reach out but at this point when you're kind of a collector you get used to it and you don't really care anymore like um i was talking about spring summer 1994 um Yaki Men this week and i was missing some information so i literally went and asked naoki takizawa the was the designer at the time i literally asked him i was like can you just tell me about your collection and he told me uh, the origin and he told me the inspiration and told me everything uh, but yeah, sometimes you just gotta ask. I mean, listen, like the worst thing that's gonna happen is they're gonna say no, which is like yeah. happens all the time. But then again, that that's that's what I mean mm -hmm. by like the 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 stone just hasn't been lifted. Right. Um, you know, that might not be your your prime source of information, um, but it might be somebody else. Um, and mm -hmm. you never, you know, what makes what makes lost media really interesting to me is the fact that it exists in a point in time or a hundred percent certain that it existed at a certain point in time um and if it's not properly archived or um shared or taken care of then sort of that moment in history um goes away and you know some people might say like what's the purpose of preserving lost media um especially like 30 seconds of Chris Farley voice acting Shrek, like <laughs> people might not understand it, but um, again, it's that sort of moment in time where like people are aware that this was going on, that this was happening mm -hmm. and that it should have happened. Um, and now it's somehow completely lost to time. Like I was talking about with the folklores in, in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, but in going back to Walter Benjamin, I think uh, maybe it's the aura of those lost media that's interesting. The yes. fact that they they haven't been uncovered yet and you want to find the origin. And I think that's a lot of what we do as uh, archivists. Uh, we've talked about this before, but the idea or the idea that we are looking for specific things that are not readily available and even when it comes to um things that are not necessarily lost that are available the fact to just find them and put your end on it sometimes is already an achievement by itself um we've uh i think you've mentioned at some point how finding some images even online sometimes can be really really hard because some images are really um hidden in the depths of the internet um i have a good example of that in fact um i have some amazing uh images from when Isemiaki went to the uh, Barcelona Olympics in 1992. Mm -hmm. um, amazing pictures, it's him on the beach, 
um, just you know having fun. And I found those images on a really old website dedicated for the I believe the hundredth um, anniversary of Kensuke Shizu. I think that's yeah. Um, Anyway, the main point is that they were lost on this website and it was GIF images and you can find them on Google, obviously, but um, I don't even remember how I found the website, but it was an old website that I found the link and then I went and I saved all the images, I copied the text for all the captions and I saved them, I put them on my website, I put them on my computer so that it's saved and um, even to this day, sometimes there are some things I've saved a couple of years ago that now I'm trying to find again, can find them. So I need to find them on my computer and bring them back on YouTube or on my website because they just disappeared from the internet. See, so it's uh, it's very important, I think, to save. That's why I save almost everything at this point because I'm, I'm just like, okay, I don't want it to get lost because even with the internet, we think sometimes that things are just readily available, but then someday, poop, it just disappears and you can't do anything about it. I need to be a little bit better than this, but I, you know, keeping spare hard drives even of just like having a backup of your backup. Um, you know, I, I've said I, I had a background in photography and, you know, all of my professors in school were, were always just saying like, you need to have like three backups of everything at any given time because one of those days you're going to plug in your hard drive and it's just not going to, not going to work. Um, and then all that work, all that time, all that effort is just gone. And I, that's happened to me. Um, I have lost media. I'll say that the program, a lot of photographers use is Lightroom. Um, and you have like a catalog of your images. Um, and when I first started doing photography, I had no idea really how to set up a catalog or anything like that um and so i was shooting thousands of photos and then one day i like changed computers or something like that and i lost all of those photos and those were like all my first my first photos um oh okay wait and so you lost them because they were on lightroom and you didn't save them properly or i yeah i just didn't i didn't save my catalog properly um I must have had it saved on a specific computer rather than on the cloud or like a hard drive um, itself. And so when I got rid of the computer and reset it back to its factory settings, like it just deleted all of my my catalog of work. Um, right. It was a bummer, but um, you live and learn. And now I yeah. definitely keep copies of stuff. Right. Uh, well, that's why I put everything on my website. Also, uh, all my doc documentation, all the text, all the images, all the videos, and even uh, uh, the videos. Sometimes I do. Uh, so I add the link to uh, YouTube videos that are available on YouTube that I don't necessarily post, but I do keep a copy of each video that's on my website uh, that I save uh, just in case the video just gets uh, removed from YouTube. Uh, and it's it's important, I think, because like I mentioned earlier, uh, many times I've had to bring back certain videos, certain things, because those things just disappeared from the internet, certain images, um, and it's it's important. And that's why I try to post also on Instagram certain things. So the other thing I wanted to mention is the importance of collectors and the importance of knowledgeable people, because um, I'm, I'm saying this because I think uh, that's the thing people don't say think about, but collectors are super, super important for in many respects because they can authentify uh, many things, many pieces of media. And so, for example, I know a lot about Comme des Garçons, Isemiyake, and Yoji. And in that sense, um, every time, if you show me an image of someone wearing a certain piece of the designer, just by knowing um, my piece as well, I can give a, you know, a loose understanding of when a, a picture can be from. Um, and of course, it sounds a bit um, all over the all over the place, like said like this, but I've seen images sometimes I was like, oh, this is impossible that it's before this date because of uh, this fact. 
uh, an auction house was selling a an isemiyaki suit that supposedly belonged to David Bowie. That supposedly the David Bowie gave to a bar owner in I believe 1982 or 1987. But then I looked at the suit and uh, on the tag it was a signature that only arrived in spring summer 1990. So it was impossible that the suit was before 1990 because, uh, well, yeah, the tag was from 1990. And so I was like, no, this cannot be from before 1990. So the guy is lying. And and still the suit sold for, I believe, 10,000 pounds. Yeah, let's say 10,000 or 20,000 pounds, which is a lot of money for something that's fake. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure too, it was a big auction house that was probably selling it and that's the thing I think that surprises me a lot of the time is that they don't have the proper resources to really, you know, determine the the, the original date. Um, I think we said this like last time, like there's this hope um, that you kind of feel like you can believe in what the person is who's selling you the item is saying um, without actually backing it up with any proof. My, my younger brother uh, purchased a... Louis Vuitton duffel bag from the 1980s, um, which is, you know, over 40 years old now, uh, or around 40 years old. And um, he wanted to get it, he bought it secondhand and he wanted to get it authenticated. Um, and up till I think a few years ago, Louis Vuitton had a, a, you know, a program where you could bring in your items and have them authenticated, um, legit checked, whatever. And uh, so we went in with the with the duffel bag, and they they told him that it was too old to be authenticated, mm. which I found really surprising because especially like from Louis Vuitton, they've been around for decades or maybe yeah. a century now. Um, yeah, for centuries, I think. And like, you know, you'd think they'd be able to figure out if their old items were. Um, authentic or not and I had another friend who told me about a similar experience and they were told that um, they couldn't authenticate the item anymore because fakes had just gotten too good and so they weren't able to definitively say yes this is real or we believe this is fake um, and they obviously don't want to be legally liable to saying something that correct. That's interesting the yeah, the blur between uh, real and fake. Uh, but that's another topic. Let's not uh, go there for now. Uh, but going back to lost media, I, this kind of falls under lost media to a certain extent, um, in the sense that it, it's a media from the past. Media, media, it depends on your definition of media, but we can consider a bag of media. Um, and so the thing itself, it's not a bag that's lost because obviously the person has a bag, like your brother has a bag, but I guess it's the the information about the bag or the authentication of the bag that's lost. Um, that's uh, an interesting thing, I believe, to think about. And I think it do also connects with uh, what we were talking about earlier about um, the images that we have the images, but we don't know the origin. So, um, yeah, so in that sense, I think lost media is both like some pieces of media that are lost and some pieces of media that are we have, but we don't have the origin. So tracking down um, in, yeah. It's definitely very, you know, like the term archive or whatever we, we discussed mm -hmm. last week. It's a very hard word to strictly define what consider what you can consider lost media or what's not lost media um mm -hmm. i mean there are so many there are so many different subjects that it goes into you know books music magazines um mm -hmm. and things like that which is uh, you know i think why that's the importance of me scanning my magazines and books page by page as well um personally is you know, what's, what may seem unimportant or not have any relevance today might be extremely important or extremely relevant in 25, 50 years. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important to preserve that, um, that information. Like I was kind of saying with, with folklores um, or things like that, like if someone was there 
transcribing the story the first time that it was ever told, would it be the same as it it was after the hundredth time it was told, or would it be different? Um, and so I think it's interesting. Right. But in terms of stories, I believe that uh, even the new stories or the modified stories are um, still interesting because they shifted over time. It's the same as language. Uh, language has changed a lot. For example, English, uh, very different from what it was a, even just a few decades ago. Um, and I believe it's well adapted for the present. And, and it, it's going to be very different in 100 years, how people are going to talk. And... Uh, yeah, uh, but going back to the question, sorry, there's a lot of going back, but you brought up a good question. Why why should we look into lost media? Um, and you brought up the fact that it could be important for the future, uh, but personally, I think it's just enjoyable. I think the process itself of finding it is really interesting um, for many reasons. Uh, you learn a lot in this process. And sometimes you meet people or you learn new things or you got to investigate certain things. And yeah, I think it's just an enjoyable process. Um, and I, yeah, I think, I mean, you're more part of that community than me, but I think that's probably why most people are in it. They have fun doing it, right? No, definitely, definitely. And what interests me a lot as well is like some of the sort of recent lost media. I mean, there's lost media that, could have happened in 2012 or 2015 or something like that. And that's the stuff that really interests me is like, you know, we really are living in a digital era now. So what does it mean to really like lose access to that kind of media? And like I said before, it, it did happen in a point in time. It did exist. We're certain of that, but now it's like a figment of our memory or, um, but can you be really certain of it? Because like you said, you said sometimes your mind tricks you a little bit. So that does that does happen in the community as well, uh, in the lost community world uh, as well. But um, there is, you know, that people bring up like collective consciousness and things like that, mm -hmm. where like multiple people um, think this, they saw the same thing or think that they remember something a certain way. Um, but most of the time you don't really know until the media is found, um, mm -hmm. and, or whatever it is that you're looking for is found, um, mm -hmm. which can be difficult sometimes because people can be so certain that they saw it or they remember it a certain way, um, or at a certain, you know, someone might say, oh, I remember seeing this in the late nineties when in reality it was in the early two thousands. Um, mm -hmm. and so it can be really difficult to search for things because of that. Um, right. I think that right. goes to like what you were saying of like seeing scans online and being like, okay, like I have a general sense of when this is from based on the clothing that's featured. Um, but I can't be too sure. The other thing with lost media that interests a lot of people is that feeling of like oh i remember watching this when i was a kid or mm -hmm. i remember seeing this advertisement when i was growing up but like if you never had that memory if you never had that like um, experience of seeing it for the first time on television or you know hearing about it in a magazine or something like that then i think there's less of an interest um mm -hmm which is kind of, I think the opposite for like people like you and me, where it's like, you know, we look into stuff that predates our, you know, us being born all the time. And I, I usually think it's more interesting. Um, but that's also just because of how little media there usually is on mm -hmm. the earlier stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, no, it's true. Uh, and that's why also it's hard to do this type of research since it predates uh, my my conscience. Um, I don't necessarily know the context of certain things. And uh, and sometimes it's not just context and um, time uh, time wise, sometimes also spatial 
uh, why is, in a sense, I grew up in Montreal, I grew up uh, in French Canada, uh, culture is very different than uh, American culture. So even just uh, something, let's say I was old enough to experience um, 9-11, sorry, <laughs> big topic, but uh, 9-11, um, I was a child back then, but the experience as a Canadian, French Canadian child with 9-11 is very different than if I was uh, living in New York at the time. If I was an American living in New I York, was, a child would have been different. You were, right? I was living in New York at the time. I yeah. very young, but I do still remember like the aftermath and the like effects right. that exactly but uh, and in that sense the how we say that but um the the context is very different and the understanding of the context is very different too and so uh, that's why when i do my research in fashion in the context i try to cross-reference as much as possible and i try to ask people because it's important to understand the broader context and this understanding of context um comes i believe after many years of uh, doing research Be and that's what i think makes a difference between uh, me as a collector and someone who would just read uh one evening about the topic is that i know the broader context so for example if we talk again about isenia kiman spring summer 1994 uh this was in 1993 that it was presented for the first time and um, it was the first collection of Naoki Takizawa, but in that sense is, I know that Naoki started a Semiyaki in 1982, then he was on a creative team, I think, in 1989, and then um, he was doing stuff, but also talking to him is that he was behind a lot of the design for the menswear uh, starting in the early 90s and all that. And so understanding the broader context that, well, Naoki was already designing for menswear, basically, but just not officially, before spring summer 1994 gives context and then you look at the older collections and you're like oh yeah that makes sense there are the connections to make uh with the past and with the future and all around and so understanding context is very fundamental to understand something broadly and to appreciate it better i believe uh, because like you said there is the emotional connection to the piece of media but i think there's also the uh understanding of it like if I don't know, if I if I've never watched Shrek, I don't care about the lost media of Shrek because I, well, it doesn't matter. And not necessarily just because I don't have the emotional connection, but also I don't know the context, so yeah. why would I care? Um, and uh, yeah, and I think in that sense, it's um, very connected to the culture uh, you're raised in, and sometimes also things you you take in because. Uh, talk about fashion again uh, growing, growing up here I don't think my parents even know a single designer the name of a single designer I think they wouldn't if you ask them to buy for a designer brand I think they wouldn't even know about Gucci my parents know nothing about fashion uh, but I bring this up in the sense that I learned a lot about fashion by myself and through my connections to my friends and all all that and I cultivated that culture um, in me and uh yeah so uh, cool in that sense a cultural landscape was uh i didn't so grew up in that cultural landscape but i learned about it and became part of my identity yeah. uh, and then that's why i care about the lost media in fashion because now it's kind of part of me and it's part of my questions and it's part of my uh cultural understanding and sometimes i'm just like well is it true is it not true so verification too um uh, the lost media aspect is also yeah to verify the knowledge to be sure that uh, things are authentic and valid um and, and i think that's the that's the thing i do the most as a collector is trying to figure out uh what's true and what's not and figure out the uh yeah the authenticity of things um another example this week i've been documenting come the also plus spring summer in 2000 uh, is the collection with all the patchwork stuff. Um, so maybe people are listening know what I mean by that. And everyone online, people say that the the tapestry thing were from the Goblin um, manufacturer in Paris. But I couldn't find a single official source that says that. It's only resellers who's been saying it. And I've really tried. I looked everywhere. I've done really, really good research. Cannot find a single place where they say it's from that manufacturer. I even have a like full like 
article in my Japanese magazine about the collection, full article, super long, a lot of information about the collection. Nowhere does it say that those, uh, those well, patches come from the goblin tapestry. However, it does make sense if it comes from there. And I feel like there's, there has to be someone somewhere who knows the answer. And so that's my next step, I think, is I will ask people directly about it because I cannot find a, an official source about the subject. Um, but yeah, as a collector, I try to verify the information and I try to make sure that uh, it is uh, truthful. And in uh, again, uh, I believe in this case, it's an example of lost media because lost media in that sense is not an image that's lost, is the information or the source that um, the tapestry comes from the goblin manufacturer. Uh, and I'm trying to retrieve that um, that uh, authenticity, yeah. uh, if I should say. And, and uh, it, it's interesting. Because if you broaden the your definition of media, you can apply this to many more things than just images or videos. No, for sure. That's why I, I really do associate the archive community and lost media community very closely together just because of how many parallels there are between the two. Um, and yeah, I think another thing that we haven't really brought up, but like it's from my experience, not that you can believe everything you read on the internet, but um, you know, in the, in the early two thousands and the late nineties when the forum era was very big and that's where a lot of information was being spread i found that it's it's really difficult now to come across those old forums and that that information that's stored on those old forums um and a lot of them you know some of them may have been taken down and defunct um but even the ones that still exist and are up to this day it's it's very difficult to find the specific information you're looking for right um, yeah, I found uh, some information on old forums, and it's interesting because uh, sometimes it's images that I was looking for that I found there. Sometimes, uh, and what I like about forums is that they often write their sources. So yeah. oftentimes I would find the image, or sometimes it's an image I would find in better quality somewhere else. But then I found on the forum the same image, but at least they gave the, the source. So yeah. they give the source, and um, but the quality is always so low the resolution is always so low um so there is that finding information finding images is really good on forums and uh that's i love forums for that but sometimes they're just hard to navigate that's the issue extremely yeah yeah um, uh, and i've tried i think sometimes it's funny because you see someone posted let's say in 2012 something you know it's been 11 years uh, and then i'm like okay well I need to reach out to that person. I, I need to know what they're talking about. Or, and I did do that because someone have a, as a video of something, I need to check that actually. I haven't checked in months, um, but someone had posted like stills from a Comme des Garçons runway show, uh, the video. And let's say in 2009, uh, I found it maybe three years ago, four years ago. And then I messaged a guy and then he replied to me like a year later. And now I think it's been a year and I replied to him a year later. So I'd say, I think like we've been replying to each other like a year difference, which I think is funny. Uh, but I, I need to talk to you. I need to figure out where, he, if he can share the video, if he can do something about it. And sometimes people are very nice. Uh, yeah. Some people I know is because of that. I reached out to them because I... I I was curious about something and then uh, they sent me a bunch of things and it was super valuable in, in the end. No, and I think that, I mean, gatekeeping per se is probably the main difference between the archive and the lost media communities. Mm. Whereas like in the lost media world, everyone is helping each other out everyone wants to get to the bottom of this everyone wants to find the solution things whereas in the archive scene in the archive world everyone's very sort of greedy and like wants to keep things for themselves um which you know i mean I was, archive fashion right yes on the archive fashion just let's be clear sorry um which i wish you know 
the archive fashion community was a little bit more like the lost media community in, in that sense. Like you and I were saying on the last episode, like we want people to help us to continue archiving and things like that. But at the same time, we don't, there doesn't need to be another person out there doing high resolution scans of all the old Condé Garçon collections because Etienne's already doing it and, right. and sharing it with everybody. So Right. By, by doing more you're just it's just you're not really helping the, the community right um, two things i have to say about this first one is uh the idea is creating new solid foundations that's why i do this and this is like i think that's what you mean by uh what you just said is uh, i think in our the archive fashion scene is that people have been rebuilding the same foundations over and over for many years so then people have to find out the same things over and over and i feel like it's redundant and it doesn't help the community grow because every time people need to find out the same thing so uh instead of building on top you just get that it, everyone is kind of their own island and are uh building their own thing but then it's redundant and yeah and the second thing was that um is the total opposite of what I just said. It kind of is that it's still important, I think, because every time I scan something, the scans get better. Every time I translate something, the translation gets better. Every time I do something again, it gets better. So that's why almost every year I rescan the same things. Uh, certain things, I can't give you an example right now, but I've been scanning almost every year for, let's say, four or five years. And it's not bad necessarily because every time I scan I improve the scans I I figure out that I made a mistake in the previous scans I didn't know how to edit my pictures or then there's always something new that I'm learning and this is something I was thinking about yesterday in fact is how um it's fulfilling and I think the process is super uh interesting and it's a big incentive of why I'm a collector is that I learn new things every day and it really makes me see things differently uh certain little things but also certain well greater things for example I've been taking pictures of clothes for years right posting clothes and selling clothes well every week I learn something new on how to improve my product shots every week and it's been years that i've been doing it and like for example even this week i learned something new and i improved my pictures by so much in the past year and so every year uh, i take new pictures of my clothes because i i improve my my things and i take new scans because i improve my scans and i translate new things because i get better at japanese and i get better at translating so it's a never-ending process but uh, to connect those two things that seem very opposite to one another, the you know, the it's that not because you redo the same things that it means that you're completely um, putting away the foundations that you built before. And I think that this is the part that uh, to reconcile those two ideas is that I don't just do from scratch all the time. Is I use my prior knowledge or my prior work to um to push uh forward my my process or to push forward my methods to improve again because that's the thing it's not it's not necessarily redundant because every time i improve it so it's not just that uh, it's the same thing over and over it's really just an improvement each time and this is why i think it's so important to set good foundations because um, even though you can rebuild a lot of the foundations, it's not that you rebuild them from scratch, it's that you build, uh, you kind of solidify them and you build them just in better condition. Uh, if I can give an example, is that sometimes it's just the fact knowing that something exists, um, because if I scanned it before, I know, oh yeah, that's true, I, I shouldn't forget that this there's this particular page in this particular magazine that talks about a certain subject. But um, yeah, so so I think though, even though those two ideas are very contradictory at first glance, I believe that they reconcile each other pretty well. Um, and I think this is why, too, it's important to work hard as archivists to uh, share the knowledge with people and to encourage people to build on your own foundations. And this is what I've been trying to do with my clothing archive. I, I'm 
very silly, but at the same time, I'm very serious in that sense. I really try to uh, set things so that people can really build on top of what I do. And uh, it's very important to me that aspect is that uh, for things to be accessible and gatekeeping, I have an issue with gatekeeping, but I think within the archive fashion industry, the gatekeeping aspect is because uh, of how, um, um, well, the fashion world is not very kind, let's say. So it's because the fashion world is not very kind and it's an industry. So I think people are protecting their, um, their, interest what's the term there's an adjective that comes before interest they're protecting their uh, market interests maybe i mean they want to have they want to have an upper edge uh, like yeah a... i guess but it's still like okay it's kind of shitty but at the same time it's kind of a requirement because um sometimes it's like as a collector like there's a lot of pieces i really like but then if i make it to hype it's then the prices are jacked up and i can't get the piece anymore because then other people who may not know about the thing but have the money well yeah. they might buy it so sometimes i gotta protect you know i gotta protect my piece uh, i gotta protect my piece because yeah this happened recently but I, I did a post that got way more traction than i would expected but um i was like debating about whether or not i should even post it because it was a publication that was very rare and had only been around for two years and then they stopped it and i was like should i post this or should i just like gatekeep it and like try and collect it myself but i ended up i was like i don't care like i'm just gonna post these so i bet i bet some people have got some good deals on issues from it on, on ebay now but you know can you tell us what it is or do you want yeah it was called dirt magazine um okay. and spike, oh, I think you told me that. spike jones was one of the uh contributors oh. um but yeah, it was for like teenage men, like young men, teenage guys um, in the 90s. Um, but they did interviews with actors, um, musicians, just a bunch of different stuff. And then they also featured editorials as well. So, Right. Um, yeah, that's a that's a good point, though. And that's the thing, you have to be careful sometimes because, yeah, people are just going to buy and then you're going to be left out. I think maybe the difference is that since it has to do with uh, a lot of buying uh, and selling, it's an industry, um, and there's the physical copy aspect, it's different. The, the archive fashion scene is different from the lost media scene because the lost media, it's about finding the media and just like sharing it uh, yeah. with people. It's not about a specific magazine or specific pieces of clothing because uh like i said a few seconds ago is that if i want a specific piece if i really like a collection well if i start advertising it or i start talking about well then a lot of people will see it and maybe again people with more uh means can get access to it because when you share those things the thing is like people take notes and people actually do buy things and do get into things because you share them and that's the thing you with them magazine at this point and archive pf is a bigger example but if you talk about something or if you share something then a lot of people will see it and like this will have an impact some people might buy the magazine like you said or some people might buy a certain piece of clothing and so that that's the thing the i think the when you start publicizing certain things you have to think about how uh it's gonna have an impact on people and it's gonna influence the market yeah. and uh it's shitty but that's how it goes and... i mean personally i i enjoy it i think it's great i love i love informing people and sharing information with everyone and yeah to the people that support my page and appreciate the information that I'm sharing that just keeps me motivated to like keep doing what I'm doing. Um, and, you know, uh, probably a year ago now, I remember I would always see like Harajuku Udahara scans of people wearing this one type of shoe called North Waves. And I was like, trying 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 to figure out what these shoes were because I, I thought they were vans maybe or like <laughs> some other brand um and then i forget how i eventually figured it out um but i stumbled across some article about them i think and um i saw i was like oh this is awesome like i have a bunch of scans with, with north wave stuff like 
it'd be cool to do a post about it. And uh, I did a post and it got a decent amount of traction. And I had a bunch of people hit me up and be like, hey, like, thanks so much for doing that post. Like, I just bought a pair of the shoes, like, so awesome that, like, you you figured this out. And I was like, awesome. Like, that's great. I'm glad people are happy and, you know, are interested in the same stuff. So it, it's cool. I don't know. No, it's it's really nice. Uh, it's it's pretty cool to hear that. Like, I love also when people reach out to me to tell me that I influence uh, not necessarily uh, something they bought, but just their vision on something. Um, and this is why I share too, because every time I share something, sometimes uh, people reach out to me and they're like, oh, actually, I have a piece from that collection and I didn't know it was from that collection or something yeah. like that. And so it's cool to have people um, use that as a source of uh knowledge and um but I, I was gonna give another example that's a bit uh, sad um okay so do you know what i'm talking about if i'm telling you about yoji amamoto prom spring summer 2002 the psychedelic shirts um you know the ones that are like super the lsd shirts people call them also like lsd shirts yeah. uh you know like they're very eclectic like yoji amamoto like shirt and t-shirts and all that okay i have one yeah um, so uh, you know kind of what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Okay, so those, when I was into them, no one gave a shit. Uh, no one cared. And so um, when I bought I bought the shirt, and I always talk about it, it's not a secret. I bought the shirt for $140 on Grailed. And um, pretty much all the pieces I bought that were from that collection, I paid between 100 to maximum 200 for them. I had a bunch of them, like the t-shirt. I also had the t-shirt that I bought for less than $100, I think. But no one cared. And then once I posted, uh, I posted the shirt for some money. And then I posted some of the scans and I started talking about it. Then suddenly people went crazy for it. And now the shirt is worth, I think, like 2000 or more than that. Um, but again, this is like more than like what? This is almost like 20 times what I paid for, which is insane when you think about it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's the thing. Sometimes you got to be careful because if you share something, if like it becomes hype, then uh, it thinks it just gets like totally out of price because I would never pay $2,000 for that. Never. Um, but, you know, some people do and it's fine. I respect that. But I just don't have the means for for that. I think we should probably wrap up the episode pretty soon. Yes. In terms of closing thoughts, I think for me, I just want to say do research share it with other people and that's that's where the value in what we're doing comes from um so yeah well uh thank you for everything um great time talking to you and again um if uh, you're listening uh please send us some feedbacks and if there's any topic you want us to talk about uh we're happy to listen and uh really appreciate it. also Maybe uh, we'll see in the next few weeks, but maybe we're going to have a guest soon. So we're going to look into that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So tune in next week and oh, we're not going to disappoint.